happens when you put joy, superheroes, and a love of all things good and holy together? You get the Guardians of Virtue podcast, designed for saints who want to fight for the most precious of all gifts of our time, virtue. Join your host, Elisa Lindsay Johnson, that's me, as I discover everyday heroes who all have one thing in common, a desire to fight as Guardians of Virtue for God, freedom, and our families. Let's discover together what it really means to be a guardian of virtue. Hello, welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we have Sarah Phelps. She lives in the Middle East with her husband and three children. Prior to this, they spent three years living in London, UK, and she has a degree in journalism from BYU and recently created an Instagram account to share her testimony with others online. You can follow her at I am Sarah Phelps. I was so intrigued to find out uh, what it was like to live in the Middle East, uh, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ and Uh, what it means to defend truth even when you live in a place where uh, you can't share the gospel um, and proselyte. And we had fun diving into that. So I hope you enjoy. Let's do this. A couple months ago, um, as I was really considering how to start this podcast and like what to do with it and stuff, I really wanted to be able to connect with other women that were like me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, there's like you've posted on Instagram. There's so much, there are so many members of the church online that are influencers that speak against the prophet or speak against certain aspects of the gospel. And so it was, disheartening not see not seeing the opposite and uh and but as soon as I started diving into like doing this and research and all that stuff I started seeing people like you and it was so exciting Mm -hmm. so it's it uh made me feel less alone (laughs) because it you started your podcast last year I mean your sorry your Instagram last year right Yeah. Yeah. So I just started in November. So I'm brand new. Brand new. Did you have Instagram before? Personal Instagram account. Okay. And my husband's like, you spend too much time on that, just scrolling mindlessly. So he's like, you should delete it and just sign on on the computer because you, you spend so much time on it. And I did. And so I deleted it. And then I could not get back on my account word and just it was crazy I tried pretty much everything in the book to get back on to my personal Instagram account I could not sign back in to save my life and so I had been thinking about starting another Instagram and I I kind of thought maybe this is my chance to start something different because I've been toying with this idea in my mind and now I can't get on my normal Instagram account so maybe this is and I was kind of getting sick of not being able to use Instagram because there's so many businesses and everything that have Instagram pages. And I kept on wanting to look at them, but I had to sign into the app. And so finally I just decided if I make a new account, I'm going to do the one that I want to do. I'm not just going to make it 
a normal account. I want to make it to share the gospel. This is something I've been thinking about for a while. I've just been seeing so much negativity out there, hardly any good mm-hmm. about the church. And it just took me crazy. I would talk to my husband about it like every night. I'd be like, what is going on? I just like, I can hardly find anything positive out there. I'm starting to wonder if I'm like the crazy one here, but I don't think so. But this is just insane. And so I, I saw Becky Squire doing it and she really inspired me. And I thought maybe I could do that. So that is the long, short story, I guess, of how I initially started my Instagram account. And yeah, this was like two months, two months ago. So I'm learning. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun to see how people are sharing the gospel. I've been, uh, sharing the gospel here or there on Instagram for years, just in little ways. And, uh, cause I don't know, like it's a part of us. Right. And so like to not would just feel like I wasn't sharing a part of myself, but, um, so it's fun to see other people do the same thing. And, um, you're doing it in such a way that's brave. Like it's, it's brave and exciting. And, um, and you're not scared to share the truth. And that I feel like sometimes people are scared to do that. Oh yeah, for sure. Have you, I mean, have you felt that way? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, I think that the problem is, is that in this day and age, people get offended so easily. It just rubs them the wrong way. They will say the most horrible things about you, you know, and it's scary to be on the other side and see it happening around you Yeah, and think, do I really want to put myself in that? Yeah. Or is it just much easier to stay back and stay safe and stay hiding and stay in the background? Nobody can say anything mean to me if I don't say anything at all. Right. Right. And, but, um, you know, and, and to be completely honest with you, there were a few people in particular that I was worried about when I started this account, some people, and I'll just say some people in my extended family. Mm-hmm. And I had a really, I was made this account. I was not sharing at all. I wasn't doing anything. I just had this empty account and I thought eventually I'll start sharing, but I was just absolutely terrified of what people would think. Didn't know, but people that I know, mm-hmm. I'm like, what are they going to think? Maybe they're going to think I'm crazy and silly and stupid. And I still feel that way. Um, but there was a few people in particular that I was worried about that would just show me no mercy. That's what I thought. I was like, they will just mock me to no end if they see what I'm doing. And I thought, well, I could just go on and block them maybe, but that sounds horrible to do that. And so mm-hmm. I was just sitting and not making any progress, not posting anything at all. And this one morning I was reading my scriptures and I had this really distinct impression in my mind that said, just do what you have to do. Just start sharing now. And to me, that was the kind of the okay from Heavenly Father that was like, look, if you want to block a few people and that's what it takes to get you to start sharing, then so be it, do it. And I did. And it's not a long-term solution for me, but it's it's kind of an example to me of Heavenly Father being willing to meet you where you're at. because. I think he knew and I knew that I was in no place to just start sharing so boldly, knowing that some of these people that in my family that I know could see and what they would say to me. I, I just felt that one negative comment from them would have just shut me down right, right yeah. away. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I still feel very vulnerable, but the idea eventually, like every day that I do this, I feel strength 
mm-hmm. from Heavenly Father to keep going. And I'm feeling more brave and more confident in myself and getting to the point to where I feel like, you know, I'm not going to be afraid of what they think of me anymore, you know, and eventually, you know, I'm not there yet, but I think soon, sooner than I imagined, I think I will get to the point where I can say, you know, they can see this and this is just what I'm doing. And this is who I am. This is what I'm sharing. And this is what I believe. And if you want to say things, you can say things and that's okay. You just let it roll off your back and keep sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, uh, so one of my questions is what, when do you, I assume you've been a member of the church most of your life. Yes. Yeah. I was born in the church. Yeah. Okay. So um, we, we all gain our testimonies at different times and uh, it's, it's no different for members of the church. Um, we're, we're converted when we're converted. And so I, when do you remember first recognizing that you had a testimony of Jesus Christ and his gospel? Yeah. So for me, the experience that comes to my mind is actually girls camp. And it's ironic though, because I had the worst experience at girls camp. I mean, some of the worst memories of my youth probably happened at girls camp, but at the testimony meeting, I was probably, I don't know, how old are you when you go to girls camp? It was my first year. So I was like, 12, I guess I was 12, right? Yeah. 12. And I had had the worst week ever, but at that testimony meeting, I felt the spirit strongly. I think it was one of the first times in my life that I felt the spirit so strongly. And I got up and bore my testimony, which was really not characteristic of me at the time, especially I was really shy. And I just remember still that burning and that pounding, that feeling in my heart and just feeling like, wow, if I can feel the spirit camp and I've had the worst week ever. That means that, that there is something bigger here. Just what's happening at girls camp, you know, the fun we had or the fun we didn't have doesn't even matter. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than what's just happening here. And it transcends all of that. You know, the spirit can still speak to your heart and confirm to you that something's true. Even if your surroundings, or even if you're not even in the blessed, you know, best place mentally, that the spirit is strong enough and the gospel is strong enough to do those things. And so I think for me, that is the time that has really stuck out to me as when my testimony first started. And uh, really, I think in my youth is, with that foundation that I still, even as an adult, I still lean on that, I think, going forward and probably will for my whole life. So mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's kind of when that happened for me at seminary is, is mm-hmm. the was the big turning point in learning about Joseph Smith. And um, so th- it's interesting how formative those years are as as a youth. And it makes me scared because I have youth now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a 13 year old and an 11 year old that just started Young Women's, and so, um, and so, yeah, making making those years for them the good formative, learning the truth and being willing to you know fight for it. It's something that mm-hmm. I want my children to have, just like you know I did, and so. Yeah, it can be daunting, you know, to to approach it with your kids yeah. and to think, gosh, I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to make any mistakes, but you just hope, I think, you know, you just hope and pray that the spirit will speak to them in the ways that it, we felt it too. And yeah, they'll be able to develop their own testimonies. So, yeah. So you are in the Middle East right now. Yeah. Uh, how long have you lived there for? So we right now, we live in Qatar and okay. we've been in Qatar 
And before we were in Qatar, we lived in London for a few years and we also lived in Dubai for three years. So middle total, I've been like in Dubai and Doha four and a half years. Okay. Um, I assume it's for work. Yeah. My husband's job. Yeah. Okay. He just does. He's in finance. He, he's done different jobs in Dubai. He's in a different job now, but generally he works in finance and we really like it here. So yeah, we actually, we're here by choice. Like we want to be here. We don't have to be, you know, some people's companies send them, but we are choosing to be here and choosing to live here and to stay here. Cause we, we love it. And it kind of yeah. shocked us actually. Anyone that I've talked to that has lived in the Middle East for like military or whatever, they've really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, the culture I imagine is really rich there and just fun to be around. And yeah, it, it really is. It's, there's amazing things about living here that people feel super safe. Like uh, when you tell people you live in the Middle East, usually they're like, whoa, do you live in a bunker? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Are you safe? But we live in a neighborhood and my kids go to an American school and um, the culture is very family friendly, very family oriented. And you don't really have to worry about crime. I mean, you you should still be aware, of course, but okay, I felt so much more nervous going out. But I would never do that. But here, it's not an issue at all. Um, it, it it shocks people because they think the opposite. They think it must be a really dangerous country. Yeah. But you know, it gets a bad rap, understandably, because of other countries in the region. But there is actually a lot of really safe and total, totally like livable. And you could go there to visit um, countries in the Middle East. And so I, we love it. And actually was voted the safest, the second safest city in the world in 2021. That's amazing. (laughs) So what's your favorite thing about living there? I think what we like the most is that it's just the perfect place, in my opinion, to live as an expat because you get this really unique cultural experience that you're not going to get anywhere else. But at the same time, they still have a lot of American comforts. So if you're home or you're homesick, like they have a cheesecake factory, like 15 <laughs> minutes away from my house. Yeah. You know, and they've got, oh, I don't know, they have a Texas Roadhouse. I just went there today for lunch with my family. Um, and so there's, and everybody speaks English, so you don't have to learn Arabic. And so, so there are things that actually make it a lot easier to live here than people realize, but at the same time, you have an opportunity to have such interesting cultural experiences with people and interact with Muslim people in ways that you really don't usually when you live in the States and they're really kind and wonderful people Mm -hmm. also get a bad reputation. Um, when you read things and when you see people who are Muslim, it's usually not always painted in the most positive light, um, but you know, they're really quite nice and, and open people. And so we really just enjoyed interacting with them. And yeah, in general, we just, I don't even know what it is, but I just really like it here and we love the region. So, yeah, uh, I think that maybe, well, not maybe like nine eleven probably is what oh, absolutely. ruined the viewpoint. But yeah. when we realized that everyone are, we're just all, human, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're all people, we all have feelings and we're not all bad. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. So that is, yeah, so, is so cool. Yeah. I mean, there, and there's bad people in every religion and every, yeah, you know, they're, they're extremist groups, but as a whole general, you know, generally speaking, like the Muslim people are very kind, kind, good people. So, so there's, you mentioned that their Sabbath is on Friday. Mm-hmm. Was that a big shock, like a big change? It, it it was initially. And 
I've gotten used to it now, but it's kind of hard to remember to like do all your grocery shopping on Thursday night, you know, <laughs> and like I, I would be scrambling at Thursday night. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go to the store. I totally forgot tomorrow's the Sabbath day. And it kind of, it's kind of weird on Saturday because you're used to having one more day of rest before you have to go back to yeah. work, to school. But all of a sudden Saturday night, it's like, oh, we got to get the kids to bed. Well, they've got school in the morning, you know? And, and so there's definitely a weird shift. And, and on Sunday, that's the start of our work week. Okay. I try to talk to my family in the States and I'm like, where are you? Why are you answering my phone calls? And my mom's like, I'm in church right now. <laughs> and I just, you totally start, you, you just forget, you know, yeah. you totally forget. Um, so, so I get used to it, but it definitely was an adjustment in the beginning. Um, what does church look for, look like for you guys there? Do you have a branch award? How is yeah, that? It's a board actually. Okay. So it's big. I, you know, I couldn't even tell you really how, mem- how many members, I mean, there's definitely over a hundred members, um, probably a lot more than that between 100 and 200 members, but, um, there's a lot of families with kids. Cause a lot of people get sent here with oil and gas companies. So, I mean, there might be like, I don't even know, maybe eight, eight to 10 families here that are with oil and gas companies or the state department. Mm-hmm. So, so the- sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. I interrupt you. Go ahead. No, you're good. I, I was just going to say that. So, so they make up a big chunk of the ward and then there's some other people like us who are, um, that make up a big chunk of the ward. And there's a lot of, uh, brothers and sisters from Africa that are here working also make up a really big part of the ward as well. Okay. So they're, um, mostly Americans then I would say it's about 50, 50, like mostly Americans, some from the UK and South Africa. And then there's a lot from Africa. Okay. That's gotta be interesting. We lived in a, um, now it's not a different country, but we lived in Miami for a year and our stake was bilingual. And so instead of having a couple Spanish wards and a couple English wards, we had a bilingual ward. And so we would alternate each Sunday, Spanish and English. And so um, I was really interesting to to have to wear the headphones because yeah. that's not something that I I had ever had to do before. But every other Sunday, I had to wear the headphones if I wanted to understand what was going on. They did do um, the sacrament twice, once in English and like the prayers, once in English and once in Spanish um, so that we could hear it in our own language. But besides that, it was all... So is it, it, are your services in English? Yeah, they are in English. Okay. Um, but I have been aboard before where I had to wear the headphones. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, you know, and it, I think it helps you, for me, it helps me feel more compassion on people who don't speak English normally. And they have to do that so many places that they go. Um, but yeah, it, it can be a really interesting experience to have to wear those and to think in a different, you know, you're hearing a different language and you're having to hear it translated. And, but yeah, but our, our services are in English. And they have a Tagalog speaking ward as well. So, cause there's a lot of Filipinos that like live here and they work here. So they have an entirely different ward for them because there are so many, they make up their own ward and they have their services. I've been before. It's actually a mix of Tagalog and English. They kind of do both. Yeah. So, so if you go, you can understand what's going on, but occasionally they'll start speaking Tagalog and you get a little bit lost. Yeah. So they have a ward just for the Filipino members. Okay. Um, so what, what is sharing the gospel look like in Qatar? It's yeah, it's, it's tough because legally we're not really allowed to, I think yeah. you can share. I think technically you can share with, but it's just, 
it's a little bit tricky. You just have to be sensitive. And the, the problem is, is that we want the government to look at the LDS church with a lot of positivity and respect. And so we in turn want to respect their rules. Yeah. And we don't want to do anything that will make it seem like we're even trying to break the rules a little bit. We want to be really careful and respectful. So it, it's something that doesn't happen that much. You know, we don't have missionaries. I, I think there are some instances of people joining, but usually they seek it out themselves. You know, it, there's not a whole lot of we can't cross a line. You know, that's that's legal. So, um, so it looks really different, and I think that's in part why I get so much satisfaction from sharing on social media because I can still be open about my beliefs with people and talk about it and discuss with people. But I just do it online, and it still feels really fulfilling to me because I feel that here in everyday life, there's not as many opportunities to do so. Yeah, yeah. That um that. Internet is an amazing blessing. I I feel like they're the last, I don't know, just growing up you're, and well, not, we didn't have the internet really until I was a little older, but uh, which is crazy to kind of think <laughs> that the internet has not been around that long, but um, we're taught that the internet's bad, right? Like so many people say it's bad, but when I think about the gospel being shared and being spread throughout the entire world, like it's prophesied will happen. The internet has already made it happen. Like everyone can access it, which is amazing. And so so someone in Qatar can share the gospel to someone in a totally different country. And so so it's amazing to be able to use, use these tools. Instagram really is a tool. I, I would, I would wager that, the people that created Instagram did not create it so that members of the church could share the gospel and talk about good things, but <laughs> it's a nice tool that we yeah. have. I know. I, I'm sure they did not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, it's just like with anything in life, there's, you can definitely use it to be destructive and evil. There's so many bad things about it, but we can turn it for good and use it for so many amazing and incredible purposes. Yeah. Are amazing. Facebook, you know, to, to reach investigators. I think that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, okay. So you talk a lot about truth on your Instagram page. So Mm -hmm. what is your process for recognizing truth? So for me, they have to, whatever someone is saying on Instagram or wherever you're at needs to be in line with what, and I feel like if they are saying things that go contrary to what the prophets and apostles are teaching, I think you can pretty safely rule it out as false mm-hmm. because we are taught in the scriptures that the prophets are the Lord's mouthpiece and that they won't lead the church astray. And so it's just a matter for me of trying to have faith and trust in that. Even if it's hard, you have faith and you trust in that. And so when someone's saying things that go completely counter to that, or are challenging the prophets, then you can say, no, I know, I don't think this is the correct thing. And so for me, that's a really big one seeing. And that, I think that's why I talk so much about the prophet on my Instagram is because I'm really, really wary of Instagram accounts who speak negatively about the prophet and apostles. For me, that's a major red. And it's tough. It's tough because they might share some good snippets of things. There's something that's really great. Sometimes I've looked at plenty of these accounts. And sometimes one day they have a post that's nice, it's good, and it's truthful. And then the next day they say something that is more like the gospel according to them, or like 
you know, philosophies of men mingled with scripture, like mm-hmm. that is the type of stuff they're saying, you know, they're, they're taking true principles and they're twisting it a little bit, or they're talking about really wonderful things like personal relation or heavenly mother. And they're twisting it just a little bit to fit, to fit the narrative, to fit a more acceptable narrative, like just fit more in line with what the world accepts. That's, that's how <laughs> yeah, they, they want to make people happy. And so okay. they, it's like, let's take the gospel and let's take these truths and let's twist them and distort them just, just enough to where it's acceptable, more acceptable to the world, but then it's not true anymore. And it's tough. It's difficult. I mean, this is, again, this is part of the reason, one of the main reasons I even started my Instagram in the first place is because even I was seeing some of the stuff and I was like, wait, what, is this true? And then you see, they've got like 200,000 followers or something. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. What is going on here? Like, is this right? And all these people in the comments are like, thank you. You saved me. This is amazing. And I'm like, but this is not true. Yeah. I think this is false. Yeah. So, uh, oh man, I had a thought. I forgot it. Oh, uh, you're good. <laughs> um, maybe it'll come back to me. Oh, you're good. No. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could I keep going with what we were talking about, but so for me, you know, I, I had to step back and I think it's really important for people to, to do this as well. I think if you want to be able to discern truth, you have to get rid of some of these influences in your life that are clouding your judgment. And so I made this decision that I was like, you know, I'm just going to unfollow anybody that says anything, even remotely against the church or the prophet or something. I'm unfollowing them immediately. And I, maybe people think that's close-minded or judgmental. I don't know, but I just decided, no, I'm not going to risk my testimony on that. So my testimony, my spirituality is more important to me. And so I get to decide who I follow and what influences I'm listening to. And if they say something that doesn't sit well with me, even if it's subtle, then I'm going to unfollow this person right away. And I did that. And it's amazing how much more clearly you can see when you just get rid of those negative influences and just get rid of them. Yeah. (laughs) Things become more, it becomes easier to discern when you're not being bombarded with things constantly. Well, I was, um, yesterday I was reading or today, I don't know. I was listening to a talk by, uh, Elder Razban and he said that, uh, Satan is a subtle snake sneaking into our minds and hearts. When we have let our guard down face a disappointment or lost hope, he entices us with flattery, a promise of ease, comfort, or temporary high. When we are low, he justifies pride unkindness, dishonesty, discontent, and immorality. And in time, we can be past feeling the spirit can leave us. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. So when you're being so careful about following people because because of just the little tiny bits of things they're twisting, bits of truth they're twisting, I think that's the only way you can stay awake and to make mm-hmm. sure he doesn't trick you when you are feeling low or when you are, you know, or when, when you want life to be easier or, you know, be justified for what you're doing. And so I think that's fantastic that that's what you're doing. And that's a tool that you're doing to recognize truth. Like that's awesome. And then, oh, there we go. uh, yeah, my internet, I'm so sorry. My internet has kind of been, it might be mine too. I don't know. So, um, but yeah, the, And when I was thinking about that, the thought that I thought before came and then it went. So maybe I'm not supposed to say it. Maybe I'm not supposed to say it. (laughs) Don't worry. That's okay. Uh, That happens to me all the time. But I I love that quote that you just 
gave by Elder Resband because it just really just hits right at the core of what's really going on. And I think people don't really take it seriously. And they think that it's not that big of a deal. And they start following these influencers who are saying these things. And they think, oh, that sounds nice. I think that I like that. It's a way where I can kind of have one foot in the gospel and one foot in the world. This is great. It's like the best of both worlds. But the only problem is that it doesn't really work that way. Like the the, the views of the world, they just don't jive with the gospel. They're different. And people try to make them work, but it just if you try to make it work, I think then you're getting into dangerous territory because you're going to have to twist something and something's going to have to get somewhere. Yeah, I have the thought. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> the gospel, I feel like people think that the gospel or the church and the gospel are supposed to give you fuzzy, happy feelings all the time. But that's not the purpose. The purpose right. is to make us better. And become like Jesus Christ. And that's not always going to give us happy, fuzzy feelings. It's going to make us change. And changing yeah. requires doing hard things and and taking out the things and the untruths yeah. and not twisting, you know, to make sure yeah. that you can change and become better. And yeah. so- it's it's so true, you know. It's like I don't know if you've ever ever listened to Sit Down with Sky and Preston. Mm-hmm. I think they're like amazing. Yeah. But they said something once about love and what love really is. Cause love's a really big word right now. Love is great. Of course we believe in love, but people will say, well, Jesus, he was only loving and kind. So if anything's not loving and kind, then I'm just going to say that's not true. But Jesus had many different parts of him that maybe people wouldn't say was loving. They brought up how charity is the pure love of Christ and charity rejoices in the truth and rejoices not in iniquity. And so to me, it's like charity is not, and love is not just telling somebody something that's not true. Mm-hmm. And it's not lying to somebody or it's not rejoicing in things that are blatantly wrong and false, just so you don't hurt someone's feelings. It's, you know, love. And that is what Christ did. You know, he rejoiced in truth and what was true and just wouldn't, you know, just to avoid contention, not say something. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think that people like to focus in on the one part of Jesus Christ that is a huge part of him, actually, but is loving and kind. And then they just kind of throw everything else out the door. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, people don't want to change. Change isn't fun, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not fun, but like that's the point. Mm-hmm. You have to embrace the hard to experience the joy that comes through Christ. Yeah. So, okay. This is a fun one. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. So um, there are always some amazing truth bombs that are given during general conference. And um, in our last October general conference, was there anything that really just stood out to you that you want to share? Yeah, definitely. I So for me, this has been said a lot, I think, but I really, really loved Elder Renlund's talk about personal revelation because I think a lot of people are struggling to understand it. And I myself was sometimes thinking, wait a second, I'm hearing this from somebody and, but this is person is saying something else. Like what is really the truth here? And I think Elder Renlund just really set the record straight when he said personal revelation, it's a, it's an amazing privilege that we have, but it has to work within a set of parameters or within a framework. It's not this just free for all, where you can literally be getting revelation for anything and everything. It has to work within a framework and it has to go 
along with the doctrine of the church and what has already been revealed. And that for me was a total major truth bomb because I had been seeing a lot of things. And this is before I started unfollowing a lot of people. And I've been seeing so much floating around, not just on Instagram, but also from family and friends about revelation that this was the case or that that was the case or things that went just completely against the church, actually. And it feels rude to argue against someone's personal revelation, you know, when they're saying, why well, I was inspired and I had a personal revelation that this was the case. I don't really even know how to approach that. I don't know what you would say, but I know that at least you can know for yourself that if someone is claiming a personal revelation and it goes against the doctrine of the church, then you can be pretty sure that they have been confused or deceived. And I have an experience where we, me and my husband were kind of getting in a little bit of a debate with a family member, mm-hmm. very controversial. This family member said to us, and this was his like gotcha moment for us. You know, he was like, I got the argument in the bag and I'm going to own these guys. And he said to us, well, I know a guy and he received a personal revelation that he was born in the wrong body and he's really a woman. And that was his, I got you. You have nothing to say anymore. And to me, I just say, but oh, already from the family proclamation that we've already been taught by the prophets that gender is an eternal characteristic. It's essential, you know? And I, I don't, I, I'm sure that that person inside their feelings are real and they are struggling with gender dysphoria. It doesn't mean that they've received a personal revelation that they are actually meant to be a woman that from the family proclamation and even just the plan of happiness and salvation and families in general. And, but it, it's confusing and it trips people up. And it almost feels, I think it feels for a lot of people like a, like a Trump card. Like if you say, well, I got a personal revelation that this is the case, then, then they're right. But if you know that personal revelation has to be within a set of parameters, then it's much easier to, to distinguish and discern for yourself if someone is saying something that's false or not. Yeah. I, I think people forget that we, we have the Holy ghost, but we also have the evil deceivers, right? Like we have mm-hmm. Satan and we have a third of the hosts of heaven that followed him that are working for him that can deceive us as well. Cause they're spirits just like the Holy ghost is. And I think that people forget that when they say I received this personal revelation chances right. are if it's something against the church it might not be Satan or his minions but it might just be it could just be that that's what you want and so that's what you thought right. perceived it as a personal revelation or it could yeah. be Satan mm-hmm. really trying to get you to you know like think that's right and right and even and even in the scriptures there's a point where it says Satan appeared even as an angel you know it, it can he could definitely deceive people in that way. And I, I saw a quote once and I, I can't say who it was because I don't want to quote something incorrectly, but it was a general authority. And he was addressing this topic of receiving personal revelation that goes against the church or, and he said something to the effect of, I don't doubt they received some kind of a witness, but I doubt the source that it came from. And I thought that was really interesting because I was like, oh, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone say, yeah, they may have felt that they got some kind of a revelation or a witness, but what source did it come from? Did it come from God or did it come from somewhere else? And and that was, for me, that was an eye-opening experience, I think, to read that quote. Yeah, chances are, if you feel something like, you're, you you should ditch your temple covenants or right. like ditch your baptismal covenants or whatever. Chances are it's not God. 
Right. Or, exactly. You know, because he just wouldn't tell us to do that. Would he tell us yeah. to like repent so you can go back to the temple? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he wouldn't tell us to 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 leave. Yeah, exactly. Or, or you know, something like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and that I loved that talk so much. That was one of mm-hmm. my favorite talks from conference. It's really hard to choose a favorite from conference. Yeah, but, but that There's was so okay. Um Let's go ahead and I'm going to ask you the two questions I ask everyone at the end of my podcast. Um, first is, um, I think you are a guardian of truth, of the virtue truth. It's been fun to see you um, guard truth on Instagram and to really share it. And I really appreciate the work you've done. And um, Jesus Christ is the example, the ultimate example for all good things. And so um, if you can think of one example from his life where he was a guardian of truth, what would it be? The first thing that just came to my mind, and I think this is a common example, but I think when he when he went and he cast out people that were selling things in the temple and he overturned the tables and the chairs, I like this story because I think it shows a different side to Jesus Christ that we don't see, but we see him as somebody, somebody who is not afraid to set things right when they need to be set right and to be very intentional and even, you know, blunt about that and very obvious about that and what he's doing. And this goes along with what we discussed earlier, where people love Jesus Christ to be fit the way they think he should be as someone who's just loving and kind and, and he will love them no matter what they do. And this is true, but they also think that he will expect nothing of them and that he will expect them to just they don't have to change. They, don't, they can just be as they are. But this story to me illustrates that no, he he doesn't tolerate blatant disregard for the commandments or blatant disrespect for the temple in this case. He sets it right. And he's, of course, because he's Jesus Christ, He's there's no fear. He's not afraid to do that mm-hmm. and to defend what is actually right and what is actually wrong. And I, I think this, this story gets overlooked sometimes by people because they just want him to, you know, here's all the examples of where he said, don't judge. Here's all the examples where he sat with the sinners and he ate with the sinners, you know, but what about the examples where he set things right? Or he would, you know, he went into the temple and he overturned the tables. And um, so to me, that is the first thing that jumped out to me is when thinking about Jesus Christ, when he was a guardian of truth, was in that temple. That's interesting because that probably wouldn't have been my first choice. But not because it's not, just because it, it's different. Like for me, I probably would have chosen um, when when the men bring the woman that was caught in adultery, right? And yeah. and he teaches multiple truths there. He teaches that we shouldn't judge, but he also teaches that we need to repent. Exactly. And, but I love I love what you the story you shared. I think that's true. He really did defend like the truth. He defended the truth that that the temple is his, is his father's house and that we mm-hmm. shouldn't defile it. And, mm-hmm. um, and that could probably also, that truth can be extended to our bodies, right? Yeah. Our bodies are temples. And, um, and if, and if he is, he was willing to defend the, the temple like that, we should do the same thing for us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Uh, and then last thing I want to ask you is if you could pick one person past, present, um, a person you know, a person in history, a person in the scriptures that really was a guardian of truth, who would you pick and why? 
okay, this is hard because there are so many amazing people past and present who've lived, but I think somebody who I think is a guardian of truth is Elder Oaks. I love Elder Oaks. He is always one who gets in there and he just, he hits the topics that are relevant, that are very timely, and he's not afraid. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just says it the way that he is. And you can almost bet on people being mad or offended every single time he opens his mouth. But I, for one, I appreciate that directness and that bluntness. I think for some people that's needed. I think there are some individuals who, if you beat around the bush too much, they won't really get what's going on or they'll, they'll interpret it the way they want to. But if you, you know, he's just super direct, it doesn't really leave anything up to be misinterpreted what he's saying. And I always, you know, I always feel kind of bad when he gets so much negativity after he speaks and people call him names and they call him, you know, hateful or a sexist or homophobic, all these names they hurl at him. And I think that's got to be pretty hard to bear that burden, to feel like you have to proclaim the truth and people are going to be so angry at you and you just have to take it. Mm-hmm. And he never really, I've never heard of him speak to that. I've never really heard any of the apostles or the prophets speak to that. But I imagine you say things and have people love you. But when you say things and people are angry at you, that doesn't, it's hard to deal with that. And so I have a lot of respect for him and, and all of the apostles for their willingness to stand up for what's right and then take just like the onslaught of negativity that comes their way via social media and Twitter and everything. I mean, just so many horrible things are being called and just being dragged through the mud. And I think that's gotta be pretty hard. And so I I really admire him and I respect him and I'm grateful for his willingness to just say what needs to be said. Yeah, I um often cheer during I know during his talk if you know whether it's like out loud or like I'm just like inside I know because I just he, yeah I agree his he's amazing and I wonder I wonder um people realize the type of mantle they take on when they become an apostle because of that um because it can't be to 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 get that and there's so much evidence in the scriptures and in history of people hating the prophets and so when you become an apostle like you know that's going to be part of the package (laughs) and and, um, so for them to to do it shows their it shows their their level of commitment their level of Mm -hmm. understanding of covenants and what it really means to give your life to the savior and totally it's amazing it's fun and I, i can't wait till conference i can't believe it. so close. <laughs> <laughs> those two paths i'm like wait no, i know wait have i studied everything i needed to for the last i know <laughs> that's how i feel i'm like wait wait i gotta study more but also very excited for all the new talks and all, all like other truth bombs that are waiting yeah. to be told i can't wait for those so yeah i agree well thank you for doing this with me yeah. it's exciting to talk to people i um i'm really shy naturally I'm a shy person and um like growing up until probably I graduated high school my parents would order for me like when we go out to eat because I was so shy Uh, but I always imagine I like imagine in my head meeting people that I would love to meet and having like what kinds of conversations I would have with them Mm -hmm. and so it's fun to be able to do that and yeah, so I'm exactly. so excited that I awesome. that I've been able to have this conversation with you and to talk about the gospel, which is so important to both of us. Yeah. 
been yeah, thank you so much for having me too, because I'm just brand new to sharing everything on social media. So I really appreciate this has been a really cool experience for me. So thank you so much. Absolutely. All righty. Well, it's probably like past your bedtime where you're at. Oh no, it's so. okay. It's 8.50, but I do go to bed at like 9.30. So I better nice. go to bed soon. Well, I will let you go <laughs> so you can go to bed. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay. All right. So have a good day. Oh, have a good night. We'll talk to you later. See, See you. Bye. bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Guardians of Virtue podcast. Please don't forget to give us a follow. And if you have time, please leave a review. Peace out, dudes.